Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Can we welcome all of our campuses, our Milwaukee campus, Appleton campus, Germantown campus online? Wherever you're connecting with us from wherever you are is great. One church, multiple locations. Nothing works like the local church works when the local church works the way works the way the local church is designed to work. I'll get it right in a minute. It's great to see you. And we're starting a brand new series. And so if you have your Bibles, I just want to get right into it. Acts chapter 1. I'm going to look at the first 14 verses of Acts chapter 1. And, and I hope that you'll be along for this journey because it's a three-week series that we're doing on the Holy Spirit. And uh, today we're going to talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit as we go along in this series. And so, and then we're going to end uh, uh, here in three weeks with a, a Wednesday night, a midweek at the Germantown campus. Just kind of if you are wanting more uh, and wanting, you've got questions and all of that, we're going to kind of, uh, kind of come together. We'll be giving you some more information on that. Uh, but basically for you to be able to kind of really have some time in the altar, really have some time to pray and just really receive this full benefit of the person of the Holy Spirit. And so um, I, I liken the Holy Spirit as to a navigational system in a car. And I don't mean to reduce it. It's just the easiest way I know how to, to say it. Uh, the Bible says in, in the book of Acts, it talks about the comforter or Jesus is the one that will walk alongside you is that word to walk alongside in the Greek is paraclete. That's what it means. It's, it's a navigational tool. It's, it's someone that's going to guide you. And, uh, and so um, I, Tammy and I, our marriage was saved by, by like in-car navigation system. I'm just telling you. Uh, you laugh, but it's so true. Because I'm telling, like we, we're in these different cities, these different places. Even when we moved to Milwaukee, uh, you know, like downtown Milwaukee, it, it's trying to get to the Bradley Center when there was old school maps. I mean, back then, texting was just brand new. Not everybody texted. I remember making fun of the youth pastor for texting. Um, I know, isn't that wild now? It's like, why would you call someone? So anyhow, um, but like, and, and this is before smartphones and all of that kind of a deal. But, you know, you had the old maps and then, and then cars and you started having GPS devices and cars and, and it was like crazy upgrades. And now you've got like Apple CarPlay where you can literally just get a rental car, plug your iPhone into, unless you don't have an iPhone, God help you. And, uh, and then, right, and it's right there. It just tells you the best routes and ways to go. Or if you're one of those kind of people that really wants the best, you use ways. Anybody? Apps for ways, right? Okay, yeah, I know who you are. Uh, you're my people. So anyhow, just to try to navigate your way around, uh, kind of like the Dukes of Hazard, right? Just kind of breaking the law in a way that they can, right? Just trying to avoid the accidents and the police officers along the freeway systems. I know who you are. It, it navigates you and it helps you to be able to find out here's where I am and here's where I'm going and here's the best route to get there. And how many of you know, sometimes when you're driving along, there's accidents and so there's another way to go. There's detours, there's another way to go. That's the role of the person of the Holy Spirit. So over these next three weeks, we're gonna talk about how that person, because the Holy Spirit's not an it, it's a, it's, a, it's a he, it's a person. 
the Holy Spirit, how he operates and works and functions in a real way in your life. And so Acts chapter one, I wanna begin reading there. It's gonna be on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but if you do have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up uh, and just kind of follow along because I'm gonna unpack this first book of, of Acts uh, that's written by Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke. So if you read, as you're reading the New Testament, if you really wanna put two books together, read the gospel of Luke and then start with the book of Acts because that's how he wrote it. Uh, was it was a companion. It was the life of Christ was the gospel of Luke. And the book of Acts is about the actions of the apostles in the birth of the New Testament church under the inspiration and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter one, verse one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Verse two, until the day he was taken up into heaven after the instructions through the Holy Ghost to the apostles he had chosen. Verse three, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard, have heard me speak about. Verse five, and so John the Baptist, excuse me, John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, Spirit, Ghost, interchangeable. Verse six, and they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, they're thinking an earthly kingdom, a political and overthrow of the Roman government to bring Israel back to its rightful ownership. Verse seven, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the date that the father has set by his own authority. Verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where they were, Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts or to the ends of the earth. And again, this is the background behind the book of Acts. It's authored by Luke, who was a physician. So he was well-educated. He was very detailed. He's very thorough in his writing. He's writing this around 63 AD. So uh, it's about 30 years after, after the death of Christ and, and, and the events of the book of Acts are beginning to take place. The first thing I want you to recognize and kind of observe as you're reading this book of Acts, especially these first opening verses of the chapter one, is the action of the divine through the human, the action of divinity through humanity, the action of divinity through humanity. The word acts denotes that the book is about the actions of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, through the local church. It's the actions of Jesus through the Holy Ghost, through the local church. Let's go back to the first three verses. I'm just gonna unpack this today. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all of, about all of this that Jesus began to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving the instructions of the Holy Ghost to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented them to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, former book, he's referring to the gospel of Luke. Again, this is Luke. He's written the life of Christ we call it the Gospel of Luke. That's the book that he's referring to, Theophilus. Theophilus means in the, in, in the Greek, which is what this would have been written in, it, it means lover of God. So officially, we don't know who Theophilus is. There's conjecture by theologians and scholars, but it's kind of cool that the name is kind of like a name that could be a moniker or a name given to anybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ, a lover of God. 
It could be a name for all Christ followers. It could be a friend of Luke. It could have actually been, some said that it was an attorney for Paul. Some said it was a high-ranking Roman official. Another person said it might've been Luke's master because in that day and time, Roman citizens that were very wealthy had their own private personal physicians. We don't really know, but we just know that's what that name means, which is kind of cool because that's who we all are. He says that after a 40-day period, Jesus, in verse number three, he presented himself and gave many convincing proofs. It's, understand, I don't want to get into the weeds on this, but in, throughout Scripture, numbers are important because they symbolize certain things. And so there are 40 years uh, in the desert. Uh, there's, there's 40 days that Jesus is, is fasting in prayer. There's 40 days that Jesus is on the earth proving to the disciples and giving them convincing proofs. Verse three says that he is alive. That word 40, that number 40 is referenced 146 times throughout scripture. 40 in every single situation, it, it symbolizes a period of testing and trial and proving. It's interesting that Jesus submits himself to that numerology and to that ideology throughout that course, that he allows himself to kind of be proven during that time period. So the, the second observation I want you to see is it's the focus of the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes from being with us to in us. This is the huge part. This is what's so incredibly in a good way disruptive about who the Holy Spirit is. Jesus goes from being with us, Emmanuel, we celebrate that at Christmas and his name will be called Emmanuel, means God with us, to being in us, radically different. Look back at verse number four. And on one occasion while he was eating with them, see he's with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait uh, for the gift of the Father's promise, which you've heard uh, me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Ghost. And they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, at this time you're going to restore Israel, uh, the kingdom to Israel. And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set, but by his own authority. There's a pattern here. In the Old Testament, we see that God is around or above us. He's in the heavens. David will use, use words, uh, directional words like, if I send to the heavens, God, you are there. And if I, if I descend to, to, to the bowels of the earth, to hell itself, you are there. It's, it's, this, it's this thinking that God is above and around, but he's not with. Then when Jesus comes on and the gospels show us that that's part of the, of the fulfillment of the gospel, part, excuse me, part the, Jesus being with man, being made in flesh is all part of the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. So now God is not just around us or above us, but now he is with us. We can interact, we can touch, we can, we can, we, we, we can hear, we can see. But what happens, what Jesus is explaining here in these three verses, is uh, these four verses, verses four through seven, is that the Holy Spirit is going to be in us. Up until this point, there's only been probably 12 people, and I'm just randomly pulling that number because I, I can't imagine more of than that just kind of thinking back through off the top of my mind in the Old Testament, where people got to interact directly with God. And most of them weren't pastors or ministers. They weren't the high priest. They were Abraham or where God shows up and has a conversation with him or, or Moses. Um, there are these, there's these moments that, that, that David gets to have this direct access to God in this way that's, that's incredibly unique. But when the Holy Spirit comes, what Jesus is talking about is that 
everyone will have access to have a direct interaction with God. See, even when Jesus is on the earth and he's with us, he physically is, is, is bound by a physical flesh. So, right, Jesus takes on, clothes himself in humanity. Therefore, he's limited in time and space because he cannot be everywhere while he's on this earth. And not everyone can see him. Matter of fact, we have no recording of Jesus and Paul interacting or seeing each other or even being in the same space, although you could conjecture that it's logical that they would have been because Paul would have been a Pharisee and a Sadducee during the time of Christ. However, we have no recorded documentation that shows that. So is it possible that they weren't? It's possible. Probably not probable, but possible. But Jesus couldn't be everywhere with everybody. Therefore, he's limited. But when the Holy Spirit comes, what Jesus is saying is everybody who's a follower of Christ, everyone now has access directly to God the Father through the person of the Holy Spirit. This is way better than what you're shouting, okay. So, but Jesus will say in John's Gospel chapter 16, verse 7, unless he goes, the Holy Spirit cannot come. So he has to go. This, again, this is what he's talking about with them there, that the Holy Spirit is going to baptize them. And so the, the Holy Spirit was on earth when Jesus was here? Yes, in Christ. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus was full of the Spirit of God. Remember uh, when Jesus is baptized and his earthly ministry begins and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and then the voice of God opens up in the heavens and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead three and one, all there. The Holy Spirit's there, but he's there through the person of Jesus. But the key of the promise of the Holy Spirit is that you're never alone. Again, it's paraclete, one that walks alongside, personal navigation. And again, these disciples, they're still trying to think about verse six and seven about the kingdom coming now. But, but Jesus is trying to tell them, look, I'm physically leaving you, but spiritually I'm not. That, that there's going to be one that's going to come because John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's talk about this for a second because this is where people kind of go, okay, it's like a termite yo-yo and I wanna make this theological abstract idea very simple. We know John's gospel, chapter three, verse three, talks about you and I being born again, that you are, it's Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus, that we're first born of the flesh, right? We come into this world, but then the second uh, uh, we're born again is when we're born of the spirit. How does that happen? John three sixteen says that for God so loved you and I that he gave his only son, Jesus, that if we would believe upon him, we would not perish, but we would have everlasting life. Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, Paul will write, and he talks about how the Holy Spirit seals salvation in our life. So that when you and I accept Jesus Christ into our heart and into our life, how does he come into our heart and into our life? Through the person of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, when I accept Christ into my life, now follow with me, I am filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that raised Christ from the, the dead now dwells in me. I'm inviting Jesus Christ into my heart and into my life. John chapter 20, verse 22, to the disciples, when he had said this, speaking of Jesus, he breathed on them, the Bible says, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is happening. They are, they've been following Christ this whole time, but now the Holy Spirit 
their, their salvation is becoming real because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so the salvation is becoming, is, 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 is becoming a real spiritual issue in their life as Jesus is getting ready to leave. And the Holy Spirit is the one that's allowing that salvation experience of Christ. It seals that salvation experience. So prior to this, the, the disciples are truly, in, in, all, in all physical forms, followers of Jesus Christ. But the work of the cross was, was not truly finished. Therefore, after that point, then the Holy Spirit comes in and seals them. Let me explain this and show you. So I'd youth pastored for a long, long, long period of time, Tammy and I did. And it's easiest just to do illustrations because then it makes sense this way. So this is your life or my life. This is a person. Right, And we know that there's many symbols of the Holy Spirit. Fire is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So the book of Leviticus says that the fire forever burns at the altar. We know that oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So oil being from, from that which every, 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 the horn of oil was poured on the top of David. Every priest and every king of Israel was anointed with oil. It was a symbol of God's spirit and his presence. And actually was, was one of the symbol, symbolisms that they were actually the men of God that, that, that had been called to do this. But we also know that water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. John chapter six, John chapter seven, when Jesus will stand up on the, on the end of the, the Feast of Tabernacles and will stand in the synagogue and he'll begin to preach and he'll say, out of your rivers will begin to flow, out of your bellies will flow, flow rivers of living water. You're, you're gonna be filled with the spirit of God in a way that's gonna overflow out of your life that the Holy Spirit is symbolized by water. So according to John's gospel, when we accept Jesus Christ, and then what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, the work of the Holy Spirit seals us. When we accept Christ coming to our heart and our life, the Holy Spirit comes in. This is how Jesus comes into our life and he fills us. We are filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit. So you are as full of the Holy Spirit as you can be at salvation. There is no more full of the Holy Spirit that you can be. Biblically speaking, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And so what happens is you're full of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is talking about, as Luke begins to write it, is that there is more to this. This is all you need to get to heaven. This is all you need to be right with God. You confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved, period. It's what Jesus says to Nicodemus in, in, in John chapter three, verse three, that, that you are, you're born again. First, you're born of the spirit, second, of the flesh, second, you're born of the spirit. So this is asking Christ to come into your heart, into your life. Revelation 3.19, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door and invite me to come in, I will come in with him. Saved, period. Going to heaven, period. Right with God, period. Filled with the spirit of God, period. But there's a second action, an opportunity that's likened to that navigational device. Do you have to have a navigational device to drive your car? No, not unless you're Aaron and Tammy Cole and then you need one for your marriage, amen? Right? But it doesn't start the car, it doesn't motor the car, it doesn't propel the car, but it guides where that car is going. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second action. This is what he's telling the disciples. Remember John chapter, John chapter 20, Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? That's their action of salvation. They'd been following him for three years. They'd been there for the death, burial, and the resurrection. They're watching everything that's going on, but they received the Holy Spirit. We're sealed at salvation like we are. But then Jesus talks about Acts chapter 1, 8, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
what happens is that the spirit of God begins to flow into your life so that it overflows. This is, this is part of what John's gospel says. Rivers of living water will begin to overflow. You're not just spirit filled. That happens at salvation. You're spirit spilled. That's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is that the presence of God doesn't just fill you on the inside, but it surrounds you from the bottom all the way to the sides. It just continues and continues and continues until you are completely immersed. Or that's where we get the word baptized in the Holy Spirit so that the presence of God and the spirit of God is not just inside of me, but it's 360 degrees around me. That's baptism of the Holy Spirit. So for me to talk to you about being filled with the Holy Spirit does not negate the baptism of the Holy Spirit, nor does being baptized in the Holy Spirit and talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit negate being filled with the Spirit. But you have to understand these are two separate actions. Now, let me stop here because there's some that would say, well, there's certain theologians that would say that this happened this way in the book of Acts, but it died with the apostles and it's not for the church today. That theology is called cessationism, means that it ceased happening or died with the apostles. I don't want to get in the weeds on all of this other than to say the, the, the theology on that, from my opinion, is very weak because there's no place where it says that that's what happened or that this was just for the disciples. Rather, it becomes a normative behavior and how you and I interact with God and how we do church because the New Testament church is built upon this principle and this premise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I would submit to you that the possibility and the option for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just something for the first century church, but for us today. And, and so, and even if you disagree with me and you go, I really believe it's a cessationist theology and I think it, it ceased with the, with the apostles. What I'm explaining theologically is exactly how that every theologian, regardless if they're cessationist or not, agree that this is how it happened in the first century. Now, whether you think it's for you or not, or whether you want this upgrade in your life or not, that's between you and the Lord. Because you don't have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to get to heaven. Amen. All you got to do is be filled with the Spirit, which is simply when you ask Jesus Christ, come into your heart, come into your life, Romans 10, 9 and 10. That's it. Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for the sweet by and by, it's for the here and now. The baptism of, ooh, let me say that again, sister. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for the sweet by and by, it's for the here and now. It's, it's to navigate our lives here and now so that this is, it's the one that walks alongside of us. It's the one that leads in God's and direct. It's the one that points us to Christ. It's the one that prompts our spirit when it's time to slow down, when it's time to go. I'm not gonna need that device. I'm not gonna need that prompting. I'm not gonna need that, that, that spirit in that form when I get to heaven. Why? Because my sins are gone, man. I'm singing the song of the redeemed, right? I'm not, I'm not like uh, SpaceX and Boeing trying to break the atmosphere. That's going to happen automatically for us who are in Christ. Amen. The Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those of us that remain will be caught up in the air and forever shall we be with Jesus. So I don't need this then I need this now. That's why I'm talking about it today. And so I'm gonna talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in your life next week, but I wanna kind of land the plane today and bring you to, to this, this third observation, which is the promise of this power. Because I hope that you begin to think about this in your life 
and you began to do this. And again, if this is something that you want to experience in three weeks on Wednesday night, we're going to have a time where, where time is not going to be a major restriction. And we're going to just, we're, we're going to, 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 to pray and, and you're, you're going to see Acts chapter 1-8 happen in your life. Because I don't believe that it ended with the apostles. I believe it's actually that the book of Acts is actually a guidebook, a playbook, a, um, a living illustration of, of how we can interact with God and all that God has for us and how we as a church can be. Let's look at verse eight. But you, Jesus said, will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now we've got the promise of the Holy Spirit in, in verse five. And then he begins to unpack it in verse eight. That word power is the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. It will become an explosive power in your life. Now, let me help you understand this. It doesn't change your personality. It doesn't take an extrovert and turn you into an, 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 an introvert and turn you into an extrovert. It, it, it's not about that. But what happens is, is all of a sudden, what happens with this baptism, this power of the Holy Spirit, there is a power to do what? To be my witnesses. The why is not inside the church. The why is for the outside of the church. This has always been interesting to me because again, I've been raised in church all my life and I was raised in a church that embraced a theology of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we believe here at Life Church. But I would see that expression of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's 27 different manifestations according to scripture. Only nine of them are physical manifestations, but there are 27 different giftings of the Holy Spirit that, that, that Paul will talk about, especially, especially in the book of Corinthians. But I kept seeing just a handful of them in church my whole life, but never anybody talked about the other 21, 24, 25. And then I never saw those people operate those ways in the marketplace. I only saw that happen in the church. And then I began to read and Paul, and I'm gonna unpack this a little bit. Paul talks about this in the, in, to the church in, 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 in Corinth and first and second Corinthians where these people are very explosively uh, dynamic in their personalities. They're very emotional. Um, but the reality is that there's a lot of craziness that's going on because this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something that's just supposed to be relegated to a weekend service where Sister Smith gets a shout on and, and Brother Jones, he, he starts, you know, having a word over here and over, it, it's not meant to be some type, it, it's meant so that I've got power to live my life and navigate my life out there. When the Holy Spirit comes, we're gonna talk about this in, in Acts chapter two, verses one through four, it happens in the middle of the morning in the middle of the marketplace. So it would be like, hey, we're in an upstairs apartment above Collectivo over there on Mequon and Cedarburg and we've got the windows open and we've got a prayer meeting happening and people are going in and getting their, their morning lattes and then people are going over to, 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 uh, to, to the cafe and they're gonna get something to eat and there are other people going over to, to Orange Theory to, to, to get their cycling on and all of a sudden they begin to hear this rumble. They begin to hear people that are loud and boisterous and in the middle of that, they think that someone's drunk and Peter doesn't even even preach to those people, he just steps in the middle and connects the dots and pastors the moment and manages the tension. And says, no, they're not drunk. This is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And this is happening here. And this is happening here. Remember Jesus, he's connecting all the dots. And then he lands the plane and people began to crowd and crowd and crowd until not everybody got saved. But of the people that were crowding around, 3,000 get saved. 
Again, the power and the expression of the Holy Spirit is not something to be kept on the inside, but the why is that you'll be my witnesses. I don't need you to witness to me in church. Amen? Ooh, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. I need you to be a witness at Starbucks. I need you to be a witness at Pick and Save. I need you to be a witness at Speedway. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I need you to be a witness when you're at the mall. I need you to be a witness when you're in high school. I need you to be a witness when you go out of state. I need you to be a witness when you go out of the country. I need you to be a witness around the world. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's power, not so that I can just get my shout on, because my grandmother used to say, it doesn't matter how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when you hit the ground that counts. But at the end of the day, it's about this power and this opportunity to explosively work in my life in such a way that it goes out of the church. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Even in the life of Christ, when the Holy Spirit is operational, it's happening in the marketplace. It's happening in a public view. It's happening when people are around. And it's even interesting to me as you begin to look at the book of Acts, which is the actions of the apostles of Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit, chapters one through seven occur in Jerusalem. Chapters eight through 12, Judea and Samaria. Chapters 13 through 28 go to the ends of the earth. It's the missionary journeys. And what's interesting about the ends of the earth is every single letter book in the New Testament ends with a closing statement. Like how we would end a letter, warm regards, sincerely, best wishes. Every single book ends that way, except for the book of Acts. There is no closing statement, no closing salutation. Why? Because it's still being written today. It's the acts, the actions of Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit expressed through his church. So again, if you've never experienced this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this series is just going to unpack it for you. Let me let you know something. Nothing weird's going to happen. Nothing wild's going to happen. We're not going to bring snakes out. Come on. Somebody's getting nervous right now. We're not going to do any weird stuff. This isn't weird. I, I hate when the world and where uh, imitations make something look fake and phony. No, this is the express power of God that's available in your life and in my life, in your kids' lives and in my kids' life. And we're a church that believes that God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so I encourage you, open your Bibles these next few weeks. Begin to journey along with us these next few weeks. The best study Bible I can tell you about, it's the one that we, we actually sell and everything that we have at, the, at our resource centers are all simply there. Whatever it, we, it costs us, that's what we give it to you. I'm not doing it to make any money. Matter of fact, we lose money. It's simply because people ask questions like, what's a great book on this? And what's a great book on that? Or what's a great study Bible? The Fire Bible, the Full Life Study Bible is the best, it's the only full uh, reference Bible that will speak to this issue. And, and, and it's exactly what we believe. And there's articles. And so again, I would encourage you, go by, look at it, read it, pick one up. Um, but begin to pack this and unpack this and walk this out with us these next couple of weeks. If you're skeptical, all the better. All the better. 
If you don't believe it, totally fine. If at the end of it, you go, you know what, pastor, it's great. You think that way. I just think it kind of ended with the apostles. No problem, bro. No issue whatsoever. We can go to Starbucks. We can go grab a grande skinny cinnamon dolce latte and just get on with our business. There is no issue there. But here's what I believe. I believe a lot of people live in ignorance and they think the Holy Spirit is something that he's not. He's not an it, he's a person. And I think that people live so far beneath that leading of the Holy Spirit that they can have in their life. And they drive around their life without having a navigational device that actually would make life so much easier to tell you where you are and where you're going. That's what we're gonna do in this series. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is. One that leads us and guides us into all truth, convicts us of our sin, John says, points us to Christ and gives us understanding with where we are and where he is. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today that you didn't just come and live and die for us, but that you left us with the Holy Spirit. That at salvation, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And if we want more, then there's more to get. And that more isn't about the sweet by and by, it's about the here and now, it's about leading me and guiding me and giving me wisdom and how to direct my life and how to navigate my life and, and how to have the words when I don't know what to say and how to, how to be strong in my witness when I feel very weak. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. So I just pray, Lord, stir up a desire in us not to have a, a holy huddle, but to take this power of the Holy Spirit and to be baptized in that and to go into the highways and the byways, to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world and to empower our witness for you until you come. I thank you that we're not alone, that Jesus, you're not with us, but rather you are in us and that we all have access. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.